Lessdoing.com. I think that it's time for your inner entrepreneur to come out and shine. Working with no limits. You know you're unstoppable. Flexibility and freedom. Showing you that anything's possible. Plan, execute, and get it done. No stress. We have overwhelmology 101. Lessdoing.com. My go getters make some noise. It's time to optimize, automate, and outsource. Woo! So our guest tonight, our special guest, is Mr. Benjamin Hardy, who I've known for several years now. Uh, ben is the author of Willpower Doesn't Work and a new book coming out called Personality Isn't Permanent. He's also the top writer on Medium. Uh, I was mentioned in Willpower Doesn't Work, which I'm still very proud of. And uh, it's always great talking about Whole chapter about, about you, man. You were a huge inspiration for that, man. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for being here. Of course, man. You know what's funny is I, 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 I was recently interviewing someone who was like this productivity expert, and uh, she was talking about all about batching and about how she does things one day at a time. And I'm like, did you read Willpower Doesn't Work, that chapter on Ari Mizell? And she's like, oh, that's where I learned that. <laughs> but she was like talking about how she was this guru and how she set up her week certain ways and about all this batching stuff. I'm like, you realize that was a chapter in my book about Ari, right? And she's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Okay. It's funny when it's funny uh, when that stuff happens. Oh, that that makes me feel good. Um, so, your articles on Medium are quite varied, but it's really a lot of like personal development kind of uh, motivational stuff. Before we get to the the new book, of course. How, how did the leap? How did you go from that to deciding to write a book about willpower? Freak. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, I wrote an article sometime in 2017 must have been 17 or 16, about willpower, honestly. Like, I was writing so much about environment at the time, and I just wrote an article called Willpower Doesn't Work, Here's How to Change Your Life. Uh, and the article just went nuts. And it was I – had, I had heard the concept – I had just heard a lot of concepts about creating environments, creating situations, and I just felt like, especially having um, become a foster parent of three kids, watching how their environment changed us, how it changed them, and obviously just studying context and psychology, I was just like, I feel like this is a kind of broader conversation that hasn't really happened very well lately. Uh, I mean, obviously there's relevance to even stuff you've written. I actually recently listened, re-listened to, you know, your book, Less Doing. <laughs> um, and I, I saw actually tons of, you know, connected ideas. But, yeah, I just thought I wanted to write a book on context and environment and about how that stuff in a lot of ways matters more than just the individual entity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That was great. So then – from there, how do we get to personality as impermanent? Yeah, so I wrote Willpower or published it in March of 2018. And basically, I was told by Joe Polish, you know, someone we both know, to read the book The Body Keeps the Score. And I don't know if you've ever read The Body Keeps the Score. Is that Gabor Mata? No. No, that one's Bessel, Bessel van der Kolk. It's a, it's a oh, pretty, okay. it's a thick book on trauma. Um, the, a lot of things led to this book, but um, one of them was reading Bessel's book. And so he said two things in that book that really made me think, okay, I might need to write this book on personality. One of them was is that he talks about how trauma, and we're talking about more emotional trauma in this case, uh, creates what's called a frozen personality. And basically you get stuck in the emotional reaction or emotional, basically the initial reaction that you had from the event. And you haven't emotionally developed since. Personality isn't something that's supposed to stop developing. But if it does, because it gets trapped in the past, 
that's a bad sign. <laughs> um, one of the other things that he talked about is, is that trauma shatters confidence and imagination. It also stops what's called psychological flexibility. So psychological flexibility and imagination are two things that are crucial for learning, but traumatic experiences lead to psychological rigidity and basically black and white thinking. Um, and so I thought that that was really interesting because obviously flexibility is crucial for learning. And, and one of the key premises in psychology is that the best way to predict a person's future behavior is by looking at their past behavior. And the only reason I thought that that was interesting is because I myself, as someone who's seeking change, doesn't necessarily want my future to exactly reflect my past. Um, and so I wanted to understand why that is the way it is, trauma being one of the reasons. And I just wanted to explain to people, personality isn't innate, even though that's the explanation. Most people's explanation as to why people's behavior is consistent is because of their innate personality. And I wanted to explain to people that personality is not innate. It's not fixed. It's not rigid. It's not unchangeable. Here are the reasons why it gets stuck. And then here are the reasons why you can, you know, basically unstuck it in the way you want to go. Do you feel like there are sort of universal good and bad aspects to personality? I mean, it really depends on how you define it. <laughs> I, I think it's really easy to get stuck in patterns, that's for sure. Uh, universally, it's easy to get into a rhythm and a groove even after you've gone through a lot of change. So, like, the Harvard psychologist Daniel Gilbert, and I would recommend if you haven't seen it yet, you'd really like it. So he wrote the book Stumbling Upon Happiness, but uh, he's got a TED Talk with about a seven. Um, really good stuff. There's so much good research nowadays on kind of the disconnect between your former, your current, and your future self. Your future self is a totally different person than you are right now, which is really great because then you don't have to overly value your current opinions. <laughs> also, you don't have to current, overvalue your current, uh, your current identity. But basically what he's found is, is that you know, you're the exact same person years ago, Ari? No. You're not the same person as you were 10 years ago? Well, most people would agree. They wouldn't say they are. Um, and so you've gone through a lot of change in the last 10 years. Um, but even if you've gone through a lot of change, and even if you know you've gone through a lot of change, it can still be easy to get caught into a pattern. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it can still be easy to plateau. And so I think that personality, it's just easy to get stuck in a persona. It's easy to get stuck in an identity. Um, it's easy to get caught in rhythms. And so I think that that's kind of the core thing. Um, but I think if you recognize that you're, that you're a different person than you used to be, and also if you actually readdress your relationship with former aspects of yourself, because like that's part of refra reframing trauma and changing memories is reframing your current relationship with your former self, but also recognizing that your current self isn't the be all end all. Like one of the things that um, Daniel Gilbert says is, is that human beings are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. So people really like to like emphasize and own their current identity. I am an extrovert. I am this. It's like that's actually how you currently view yourself. But your future self could be totally different. And actually, it's better to it's it's, it's important to know that your future self is different. Um, and when you do that, then you can hold more loosely your current identity, which would then allow you to be more flexible to becoming different. So, but could that go too far and just be like inconsistent and sort of like a chameleon, basically, that doesn't really have a core sense of self? Well, this is why having a clear future self in mind is crucial. Is It's actually fundamentally impossible to be intentional in the present without having a clear future self in mind. Like, if you don't have a future self of who you want to be, and if you haven't defined that, then you have no identity here and now. Like, you literally can't know what to do today if you don't have a plan for where you where it takes you. And there's a, and that's – so Hal Hirschfeld, he's a, he's a researcher at um, UCLA, and he's spent a lot of time studying psychology of future self, and he's – you know, really found that it's very good for decision-making here and now, 
to make the decisions from the perspective of your former self as a different person? Like, what would they do? Or how can I set myself up so that they can be where they want to be? Um, but also from a deliberate practice perspective, like deliberate practice, um, kind of the 10,000-hour rule that um, Gladwell popularized. Deliberate practice is very different from routine practice. Like routine practices go to the gym the same, you know, do the same workout every day, no goals. Deliberate practice is the type of training that leads to change, and that type of training or process requires a very clear future self in mind. So this is definitely not about being a chameleon. It's about being very intentional, which is the opposite of living, like, from a subconscious um, 95% of the time you're on autopilot. Like, if you have a clear future self, and if you obviously think about who should I be today or in order to do that, then you'd spend a lot more time being conscious of your behavior and making moves in that direction versus just being the person you were yesterday. So I think that that's actually how you become more consistent with your future self versus being consistent with your former self. Huh. Uh, so we have a question from Kayvon. Hi. Hey, thank you very much for that. Um, two things that you said um, that brought two questions in my mind. One was getting getting stuck in a black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Well, at the same time, that's that's a tool that can be helpful. Like uh, people call it being decisive. Yes. So I know it comes from flexibility. Is it so? Is that black and white? Is it um, like a thinking or was, is it useful when it's philosophy? That's my question number so, one. So uh, yeah. yeah. Well, the problem with black and white thinking is often that it leads to a lack of decision making. I mean, what what it what it could do is is it leads to decisions that confirm the bias, but it doesn't actually lead to decisions to maybe disrupt the bias or decisions about where you want to go. Like if, and so flexibility could be another word for confidence. You know, so if you're flexible, then you'll then you'll actually deal with the consequences of making decisions. That's one of the problems with rigidity is, is that you don't want to deal with any – you're literally emotionally rigid such that you won't deal with going outside your comfort zone, essentially, or putting yourself in situations of uncertainty. And so the more flexible you become, the more willing – you, the more you will actually be enabled to make decisions. Yeah, that because makes sense. Because you're not sense. stuck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there's a, there's a really good quote from Ellen Langer. She's a Harvard psychologist, and she says that basically you can't make decisions – without uncertainty, without choice, you know, basically the idea is, is if there's no uncertainty, there's no choice. And so you have to deal with that, that uncertainty element and you have to be flexible to deal with uncertainty. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. And um, the other one is that we're talking about personality and past trauma, some of it being on, uh, you know, environment or, or <coughs> autopilot. So personality isn't permanent. What I want to, the question that I want to ask is, how big is the role of personality? For example, we were talking about being productive and having the impact of environmental productivity on us be more productive. So how much of it of the whole picture is personality and how much of it is environment or nurture or that sort of thing? Uh, I would say that personality is far – so environment or social role or social context is a huge predictor of personality. So – Role, role, you know, the role you're in really matters. <laughs> like the role you're in and the context you're in are bigger predictors of personality than personality being a predictor of what you'll do. Like, that's, so, so personality is generally shaped by your context. And what's interesting is, honestly, one of the reasons why personality tests like Myers and Briggs and Enneagram and, you know, like, I hope you guys aren't huge fans, but you may be. But anyways, one of the reasons why these are not um, scientific is because they're not valid and they're not reliable. One of the, re- one of the reasons they're not valid is because they're not actually they're not fully studying what they claim to be studying, but they're not reliable because you're going to get a different score in different contexts. Like you're going to get a different score if you're in a different mood. Um, so basically these tests are not, 
they're not helpful. Or what they do is they give you a sense of identity that you over cling to. You know, basically it's a, you, you get a label and then you have tunnel vision. And then basically mm-hmm. your mind lists all the times that the label isn't true. So, right. um, yeah, role and context. I think, yeah. a, I think a really good example of that is like cold, you know, the cold test, uh, right? So it says that people are a quick start, right, or, or a long falls, but the quick starts, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I know who have taken the call like, I'm a quick start. I can't. You know, I just want to make a decision and move on. That's just it. Like, they, they just have decided that they can't go deep on anything. Yeah, yeah. It, what, what, and that's exactly right, is, is that when someone has overly assumed a label, then is all that, then why that it leads them to being inflexible is, is that they then set goals to confirm the label, essentially. And they become an inflexible to anything outside of the label. And they also become mindless to the fact that actually in certain contexts, they're not that 10 quick start. Like, in certain contexts, they're just chilling. Like, it's very much an association of their identity and their role, and they've chosen to overly identify with that aspect of themselves, and then they ac- actually have created a role in an environment to essentially confirm that bias. But, um, yeah, that's one of the problems with labels is, is that once you've adopted it, you don't see anything outside of it. We call that selective attention in psychology. It's really like when you buy a car, you start to see that car everywhere. I, I don't know. I know a lot of you guys are in. <laughs> you know, but, but the reality is, is you see the car everywhere but you don't notice all of the actually hundreds of cars that are not your car and that's what labels do is is that you see the car but you don't notice all the times when it's not the car and with your behavior someone who's a 10 10 quick start is not a 10 quick start more than half the time but they only see that because of the the label that they've assumed yeah um we have a question from nico yes and can you give uh, tips on how to identify patterns we are not even aware of? Yeah. Uh, I would I would honestly ask, like literally, so there's a quote from Alcoholics Anonymous, you're as sick as your secrets. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really good to just start getting feedback from your environment. Um, another thing, honestly, and this may sound kind of counterintuitive, but if you start telling people your goals, you know, again, really using your future self as the definition of your current identity, it really makes your current identity really smooth and simple if you actually have a really clarified future self and then you begin telling people about that. Because when you start telling people about who you genuinely intend to become, then it will become really obvious when you're not showing up that way to yourself and to others. Uh, you can create a really cool, like really good environment of accountability, but also when you tell people about where you want to go, they can then in real time see your change because you're actually making progress towards who you plan to be. If you don't tell people where you want to go, then because people have – um, tunnel vision, you know, because it's easy to just see people from a, like a biased perspective. People will assume you're the same person you were before. Um, and so I think that the, the easiest way for me to answer your question is just for, for you to genuinely tell people who you're trying to be. And then it will be obvious when you're not showing up that way. <laughs> Are there any uh, frameworks that you uh, know of or recommend for people to figure out what that future self should be? Um, not exactly. I, I, not not really, to be honest with you. I mean, because that assumes that it is innate. It, that assumes that it's somewhere buried within them rather than a matter of choice. Um, I think that, so there's a lot of research on the idea that, like, the number one deathbed regret is that people didn't have the courage to essentially do what they wanted to do, and instead they they lived up to the expectations that they thought other people had of them. I think... If you just think about, and you don't need to think about your former self in this case. You don't need to think about, like, when I was a little kid and I wanted to be an astronaut. Like, it's just literally thinking, like, right now. Because your current self sees the world differently than your former self did. So 
just honestly, just in your current situation, who you currently are, if you were to be honest with yourself, what would you like to be? What would you like to be doing? Like, you know, what would you like your situation to be? Uh, another good question from like a values perspective is like, what would you, what do you believe it could or should be? Again, it's your values. But like, if you could be doing what you ultimately truly want to be doing right now, um, what would that be? Uh, and like, literally be honest about it. Like, is it exactly what you're doing now or is there kind of a gap? And if there's a gap, that's okay because your current self is not your future self. But if you then began to be honest about that future self, if you began to clarify it a little bit, what, what I've noticed is that people will Neil Gilbert, and again, his, his stuff is so good, but he talks about how people have a hard time predicting their future, not because they can't, but because they don't. And the reason they don't is because it's a lot easier to remember the past than to imagine the future. And so I think that there are practices that you can do to get better at, you know, imagining, you know, whether that be journaling. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of ways that you can spend time getting clear on, on who you plan to be. Um, even having good conversations with you know, people like you, you know, like in mastermind groups or things like that, or just however you do things. Um, but I, I found that journaling and just really thinking, what is the what is the best use of my time from my own perspective? What would I ultimately like to be doing at the next step? Like, you know, just really thinking about it, being honest about what you want, and then just telling people what you honestly want. And I think that that's the most authentic thing you could actually do is tell people what you genuinely want. Um, and you'll, I think you could see a pretty clear distinction between what you genuinely want versus where you're currently at. And then I think as you start telling people that, because what they say is like, there's a really good theory called uh, basically it's the theory of narrative identity, but identity is shaped through the stories that you tell about yourself. And so if you become a little bit more honest about what you genuinely want, and then you start telling people that this is what you genuinely want, then your environment will start to, you know, clarify to you what and who is supportive of that and who is not. So uh, for you, for example, for your future self, how like how far out are you looking and what are some of the things that you can share if it's not too private that you think you want to Not private. Be? I would like to share it because I think that that's helpful. You know what I mean? Like I think that I think that it's a lot yeah. more honest. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think that three years is kind of – I think three years is – you know, two to three years is kind of a good enough space where you can actually get clear. I think that you can have to some degree a sense of who you want to be way out there, but I think that, that gets broader. I think two to three years you can start to get actually strategic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as for myself, and, and kind of the framework that I lay out in the book is, like, first you start with identity, um, which is – your future self, <laughs> and then you would set like a keystone goal, like a, a goal that like a single measurable goal that would allow the future self to become possible. So like I'll give my I'll give my former self as an example, and then I'll give my current self as an example. Back in 2015, when I was in my first year of my PhD program, before I'd ever written a blog post, before I had ever had an agent or a website, I wanted to be a professional writer, basically with one of the like big New York publishers. I want to be a published author. Uh, I want to have conversations like with people like you. Um, but I wanted to be with one of the big publishers and I wanted to have a six figure income and I wanted to be able to provide for my family. Cause at that point I now had three kids, foster kids. And so like, this is me specking out my, my future situation. It's not just yourself, but it's your situation, your relationships. And so then I needed to come up with a tangible goal as far as what's, what's one thing or what's one outcome that if it were true, my future stuff would be possible. Um, and for me, I ended up coming to the conclusion after doing a lot of research that if I got a six-figure book deal with one of the six, with one of the big five, that I would essentially be my future self. Like if I had that outcome, because your your brain can really do good things with outcomes. And by the way, you know the outcome shapes the process. Without a clear outcome, you can't actually have a good process. And so, then once I had that outcome, I could reverse engineer it. 
ask a ton of people questions. Well, how do you get a six-figure book deal? Oh, you have to have 100,000 email subscribers. How the crap do you get 100,000 email subscribers? You can reverse engineer a process when you have an outcome. So right now, as far as my current self, um, in about two or three years, I, I want to make a big pivot, Ari. I want to kind of get out of the entrepreneurial world, as weird as that sounds. Uh, I want to keep writing books, but uh, I kind of want to get out of this world, and I'm going to actually be doing more, like, religious slash spiritual stuff, to be honest. I will still be writing popular press books. Um, you know, I'm going to have six kids by that point. I will still be writing popular press books on business and psychology, but I want to actually be driving much more of my attention towards kind of more of the spiritual things. Like when I was 20 years old, I went on a church mission, really changed my life, and I really like that audience. And that's kind of the people I want to serve in more of a leadership capacity. So I'm going to be backing out of a lot of the things that I'm currently invested in and kind of simplifying my life and more focusing on that aspect of things. But in order to actually do that at the level I want to, kind of my keystone goal at this point, is I really do want, I do need to sell millions of copies of personalities and permanent. Like, and I think that any goal is reverse engineerable once you get clear on the future self, when the why is strong enough, you know? And so I, if I, you know, I'm going to sell millions of copies of personalities and permanent, I'm going to set up a really good funnel so that basically financially I could get close to retiring and then I'm going to pretty much dedicate everything to that cause. That's pretty cool. And it doesn't sound weird to me at all about getting out of the entrepreneurial thing because that's uh, same for me, basically, because in two to three years, I expect that I will be a paramedic with the New York Fire Department. I love that, bro. I freaking love that. <laughs> I love your future self. So what do you need to do in order to become that, Ari? I'm doing I mean, it. I know you're already yeah. doing it, but... Yeah, I mean, I, so I'm already an EMT. I'm volunteering with uh, two or three different companies. I'm, I'm, I'm well, actually, like four, three different companies, um, and uh, I'm on the list to to get called for the fire department. Dude, I love that shift. You know, I, I'd be interested in in why you decided that that was the why that was the version of you that seems most valuable right now, or more, or, or most, or most authentic. Um. I, I know the answer, I mean, I think, at least, is that there's a few few different things for me, one of which is that I've always been interested in medicine. Um, I went through a massive health struggle myself with my Crohn's yeah. disease and uh, was able to overcome that and help a lot of other people as well, so I wanted to be able to do that more. I love, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, psychological things that go into this, but I love rescuing people. Um, it's just something that's always been fascinating to me and, and uh, really fulfilling. Um, it's an interesting challenge in a lot of different ways. And uh, it's it's pretty noble. It's very very poorly paid, um, and uh, very risky. And you know the the rewards are helping people at their darkest hours, basically. Uh, and then another side to it too is I really actually enjoy the sort of brotherhood element of it. Mm. So uh, because the entrepreneurial life in a lot of ways is a very solitary life, I find I have a team. I talk to them every day, and they're very connected with them. But it is. You know, we all work remote in many ways, and it's uh, very solitary in a lot of ways. So um, all those things sort of swirl together to make me want to do that. That's awesome, dude. What, what I'm interested in is in two or three years from now when you're that guy, you know, where your priorities are and where your focus is because of the transformational experiences you'll have between now and then, you know? Yeah. It would be I interesting agree. to see what, you're, what, what, what matters to you at that point when you've had a lot of these experiences saving people. Yeah. I was, you know – Five years ago before I had any kids, you know, and, and even before your huge health crisis, you know, like, and even before your kids, I mean, your priorities shift, you know, like your former self doesn't see the world the same way you see it. And so it's like, you know, I, I like the quote from Elaine Day Button. He said, if you're not embarrassed by who you were 12 months ago, you didn't learn enough, you know, but yeah. I, I just think if 
that's why I think when people overly own their current views or their current identity, that kind of dogmatic thinking, to me, it's like, so you've just clarified that you're, or, you know, you've just confirmed or, or affirmed the idea that your current version of, of, of the reality of the world is, is the definitive in your mind, you know? I just think it's, it's interesting to me when people are so definitive about their current views. <laughs> um, another question from Kayvon. Um, thanks. So this idea of current self and future self. Um, so currently, I don't think I have one self because at some, in one day, at some moment, I'm somebody's brother or somebody's father. Or somebody. Yeah, that's role. That's role theory. You're in a different role. And your role definitely is one of the primary shapers or predictors of personality or how you show up in that role. That's kind of like why, like, if you're with your family, for example, like, let's just say you're, you're the younger brother, um, that, like, you'll go back home, let's just say, and you're having dinner, and you're kind of back in that same relational pattern as you were, like, 20, 50 years ago, you know? And so, like, yeah, role shapes personality very big. That's that's a big context aspect. So that future self can be focused on only one of these roles or a bunch of them or selective, or is it an umbrella? We all have everything. multiple personalities from that perspective. No, I think that it would be really well, actually, to clarify your future self in all aspects, maybe even in those certain roles that you want changed. You know, maybe if the dynamics of a certain role, maybe it could be between you and a brother, you and a business partner, you and your wife, you and your kids. I think you would clarify maybe your future self in that role so that yeah. you can then show up more more like that future self rather than how the role's been in the past. Again, I think it's it's better to be consistent with your future self versus your former self if you're striving to live intentionally. If mm -hmm. you want to just live... So... This is absolutely fascinating. I have to say that uh, you never cease to amaze me in terms of like the depth in which you go to with the material that you explore. So the uh, the last question is, what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? I think we might have lost Ben. Well, and maybe that's the uh, that's the way to be more effective. Uh, so uh, we'll give him a sec to see if he comes back, but uh, we lost him there. So, Kayvon, those that was a very good question. I, or very good questions, and Nico, you too. Thank you for thank you thank you for inviting us. Let me unlock this in case he comes back in. Uh, I, I, I uh, we'll just talk for a minute here. So I so the last question is what are your top three pieces of advice to be more effective? I love this, man. I love this. It's so hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a hardcore question. Um, I do think, you know, effectiveness is different from efficiency. Effectiveness is about doing the right thing. And so I think, uh, I think you have to clarify your future identity, obviously going in line with what we're talking about. Um, then I think, you know, for me, I'm really big and have been on creating buffers, creating um, boundaries, you know, and, and being hard with those. Like myself with five kids, uh, I think that you can create cutoff points. Like, for example, I mean, this is <laughs> I, I hate to say this now because I'm literally breaking my own rule, but usually I will not work after 3 p.m., you know. And so, like, creating boundaries through which you work. Um, but uh, the other one is then... I'm really big, big fan on morning routine and journaling. I have been for a long time, and I feel like journaling every morning helps me to to be effective that day. 
um, to define what I need to do that day. Like by giving myself journaling space um, and by really clarifying clear, um, my future self, my goals, my priorities for the day, the relationships that matter, like I get a lot of insights because I think my brain's in the right space um, to to do what's effective in that moment, to do what's effective that day. So I think that those those things are the future creating boundaries and, and being bold with those boundaries, telling people about them, um, and then um, journaling, morning routine and journaling are the big things for me. Those those things have really helped me be effective to the le- level I am. And, you know, I, uh, I, I believe that I am, I'm certain I could be more effective, and I hope my future self is more effective than I am today. Awesome. Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time. Um, I recommend everybody pick up a copy of Personality of the Permanent. It comes out and enjoy it and start changing for the better. Dude, it was good talking to you, man. I was really intrigued to hear about you uh, You going to become an EMT. That's that's freaking cool, man. I, I love you. that. I, I love that next shift for you, man. How's your family, by the way? They're great. Uh, you know, the four kids, you know, um, and um, my wife is doing, everyone's been great. Good, man. Well, thank you, dude. Really generous. So what happens next, you may be asking. Well, whenever you're ready, here are four ways I can help you grow your business and get back your time. One, join our free Facebook group, The Replaceable Founder. The second is to get our free Replaceable Founder mini course. The third one is to come to our next one-day Replaceable Founder workshop in New York City. And lastly, you could apply to my Less Doing Leaders program. Simply send an email to oao at lessdoing.com and through the magic of automation and some very soon beings, we'll get you going in the right lane on the road to replaceability.